Welcome to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the good book turns the world upside down. Let's jump into part two of our episode with Walter Brueggemann. Wow. And, and I, I can hear what you're saying in terms of the practice of the early church. I mean, this is the witness of Acts 2 and Acts 4. Yeah. And I can hear what you're saying now in terms of the teaching of our Lord, that the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, that's not a bit of nature mysticism on the side for those who are that way inclined, but actually talking about a world where there's enough for everybody's need, but not everybody's greed. And suddenly I can hear the prophets and hear the prophets saying, everybody have a vine for wine, figs for dessert, that this is an abundance that is uh, economic and ecological vision, which is good news. But I find it so hard to do anything practical about it. I know that. I know that. Because the power of scarcity and greed governs our imagination. Hmm. And if we cannot if we cannot have an emancipated imagination about abundance, God's abundance, then we can't have emancipated policy or emancipated practice. Hmm. And I think the church's elemental work uh, is to uh, invite us to an altered imagination and to be become aware about how our imagination is massively occupied by Pharaoh's protocols. Yeah, and they are legion. That's right. That's right. And then what happens at the end of Exodus 16, in, in terms of the Bible, not, not maybe in terms of historical reality, in terms of the Bible, Israel celebrates the first Sabbath in the history of the world. Wow. I would have thought you couldn't take time off for Sabbath in the wilderness. I would have thought you would have had to hustle every day of your life to have enough to eat. But they rest. They rest because an abundance has been given. Hmm. And that is in contrast to Pharaoh's regime where there is no Sabbath for anyone ever. Hmm. If you ask anybody in, in the U.S. economy, what, what's the presenting problem of your life? It is, I don't have enough time. Wow. I can't get everything done. That sounds like every pastor I know. I sat, my, 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 my son has uh, three pre-teenage pre kids. And I was visiting them, and I sat with my son and my daughter-in-law one night uh, as they worked out the schedule for the next week the family schedule. And it was about on at Monday at four o'clock, you got to pick up Peter and get him to his panel lesson and then go get Annabelle because she'll be finishing soccer. And then, and then, and then, and then it took an hour to work out the schedule. And I'm not criticizing them particularly. It's simply reflective of everyone, of the way we live now. Yeah. And it is, uh, in ways I think we, we seldom consciously reflect, uh, it is measuring up to Pharaoh because these kids got to have stuff on their dossier. Mm. And everybody's got to be self-actualizing to prove their merit. And 
and so on and so on and so on. Because if they don't, they won't get into the right college. And if they don't get into the right college, they won't get the right kind of job. And if they, and, and if, and if, and if, and if. So Pharaoh is the great advocate of the rat race. Mm. And just imagine what it felt like on the seventh day of the wilderness in which these people took a deep breath and said, I ain't going to run the rat race because if you win it, (laughs) you're still a rat. (laughs) It's it's simply astonishing. My... Um, the gorgeous love of my life, Cat, is a wonderful gardener. I, I have my cert one in permaculture. I can run a mean workshop, but I'm actually horrible when my hands are in the dirt. There's something for me about the practice of, of gardening which puts yourself in the waiting of the wilderness, um, where it's something that that there is an abundance that you have to trust and, and wait on, that it's not instant. There isn't a drive-through um, reality to... And it demands your life changes as well. I'm aware with things like gardening, things like contemplative prayer, uh, things like sharing meals and real hospitality... I can preach much better sermons on these things than I can do them. Oh, I am with you. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. But it's important to keep talking about it, even if if we are not very good at the practice of it. We have to keep reminding each other. So for those who are listening who are in a situation like me where um, there are voices of people I, I dearly love and respect who think that it's enough of the foolishness, it was formative, and now you can go on for a successful ministry. And um, how, how do we sustain the wilderness space when it has been the worst career move ever? And, and we're just talking about the wilderness, talking about the cross as something other than this uh, anemic, Gnostic, um, understanding of salvation, like if salvation is ever to allowed to also be deliverance and liberation, I don't want to talk about the cross unless it's so. Um, for the conservatives, both here and at home, um, they want to talk about the personal. Um, for uh, the progressives, both here and at home, they want to talk about policy. No one wants to talk about community. Right. Economic, and there's nothing more threatening than actually talking about how do we do what I earn differently so it's not merely mine, right. but we can share in it. Like, I don't want manor and quail, Walter. That's what I'm doing. I know, I know, so, so, I know. So help me. How, what, what does it look like when I just wake up with cravings most of the time for flesh pots? Yep. Well, as you know, the... the uh... The uh, the work is to re-educate our desires because mm. our desires have been educated by Pharaoh mm. to teach us 
what it's proper to desire. I mean, it, it, at a at a surface level, what's clear from television ads hmm. uh, is that they can't they they cannot market anything that is elementally important to relational life. They can only market things that we don't much need. Mm. So if you just take the whole pharmaceutical industry, the incredible number of ads, and what I've noticed about all those new drugs, every, every drug has to have a Z or a V or a Y in it because it makes it sound mysterious and exotic. <laughs> but they can't market uh, the conviction, the truth, that living in a viable neighborhood of people who uh, honor you and love you is the way to health. They can't, you can't sell that. Mm. So they have to invent things to sell uh, to keep the money economy working mm. so that the money can keep flowing to the top of the pyramid, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the the whole uh, advertising game depends upon falsely educated desires. Yes. And uh, some of us are smart and sophisticated enough not to fall for a lot of that, but we all fall for some of it. Mm. So the, the uh, re-education of our desires seems to me to be elemental work. Mm. And, uh, you know, Psalm 73 ends with that uh, uh, statement, I desire nothing but you, and mm. you are the only one. That's that's healthy desire. Yeah. Uh, and yet we're, we're in the nation that sells that psalm back to us. This is a place that invented a... The selling of our savior, as exactly. long as it, exactly. he saves us, exactly. just in terms of our, exactly. our personal, yeah, yeah, um, that's right. So th- this is where I think it's so. When flesh pots are packaged as McQuail, and like <laughs> that's right, <laughs> like bottled like, water. Yeah, that's, that's right. Like um, uh, not just in larger society, but in the yeah. sanctuary, like yes. and. Yes. The, the pressure to turn Christianity into something that doesn't create disciples if disciples is going to mean living in such ways that we see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 with yep. economic realities, yep. but means here are godly principles for success. So as you lead in multinational corporations that come at the cost of the poor and the expense of the earth, yep. be a person of integrity, be a person of leadership, be a person who yeah. um, the politics of the pelvis are certainly mentioned, but when it comes to politics outside of sexuality, it, it's we, we barely have any way of actually naming the idolatry that That's right. That's is, right. is everywhere. That's right. That's correct. I I have the thought that the the entry point about all of this in our society is the Sabbath. Hmm. I I think that the Sabbath commandment of the Ten Commandments 
is the hardest and most crucial in our society because it means to uh, break the rhythm of production and consumption. And I think if we developed um, a healthy practice of Sabbath, what, what, what Sabbath not only uh, produces rest, but Sabbath also creates opportunity for reflective thinking. Mm. And what Pharaoh does not want is that anybody should engage in reflective thought. Because if you engage in reflective thought, we might entertain alternative ways of being us. Mm. And to entertain alternative ways is very threatening to the status quo. Hmm. So I think uh, uh, creating space outside the rat race uh, is a discipline that unheroic people can do. Mm. And I think uh, we've got to, we've got to, I'm all for heroic action, but I don't think that's realistic for most of us. Mm. So I'm interested in starting with, with unheroic and uh, go from there. Kat sometimes jokes with me that um, I find the idea of being a martyr easier than tomorrow. Yes. So <laughs> it's like, well, the way, the way dying I- for Jesus, I can. I can go, okay. That's exactly right. Living for him tomorrow? Yeah. I don't know what that looks yeah. like. That's way too hard. Well, I say, I don't mind dying for Christ, but I don't want to be inconvenienced. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this haunting thing in the passage that you've chosen where Moses says, don't keep any for tomorrow, which right. is the worst economic advice That's ever. right. That's right. Like everybody is telling us that... Um, I'm now 37 years old and the fact that I've sought to share what I have so I don't have much yeah, to show yeah, for it yeah. is foolishness and stupidity. And so what does it look like to not keep for tomorrow or, or stash away um, in ways that we play Egypt's game while wandering in the wilderness? Um, how do how do we even start to... Um... One of the really shocking things in Australia was with the global financial crisis is the number of churches that lost hundreds of millions of dollars because they were as invested in this Gnostic economic system which yep. is daily gambling on what doesn't exist and not real exchange of real right. goods. Right. How... Well, it is, it is foolish not to... Uh, save up as long as we are autonomous individuals one at a time. Wow. So if I'm wandering in the wilderness by myself, I'm being an idiot. You're going to die. Yeah. So it is about the the fabric of the community uh, that is a sustaining reality for each of us as members of that community. Now, as soon as you say that, you ah, it's socialism. It's not socialism. It is a neighbor ethic. Mm. And we we got to help people understand 
that the neighbor ethic of the Bible cannot be dismissed as socialism. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me the Bible has very little interest in economic theory about capitalism or socialism mm. or whatever. It has immense interest in a neighborly ethic mm. that we are responsible for the viability of each other's existence. Wow. And then the ecological imagination of our Lord talking about lilies and birds becomes a shared reality where it's not just relating to the earth as like even our language in English, the environment, it others. Yeah. But um, your work with the Psalms and w what it is to be part of the doxology of all of creation forms us in such ways that it, it requires us hearing the voices of others. Exactly. The, the neighborhood that is beyond the, That's right. the human. Right? And, and, and almost all neighborhoods, except uh, made-up suburban communities, uh, include people that you don't particularly like or that are not easy. <laughs> and and uh, they are legitimate. Unfortunately, they are legitimate neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm aware that sometimes socialism in this country starts as if it started with Engels and Marx. And there's little memory of the Christian socialism which predated Engels and Marx and that they were bouncing off of, right. that you can't avoid if you read Engels and Marx. That, um, and their importing of whether it's a Feuerbach and a, a, a program of how do we remove the spiritual, part of that program was it's so steeped in all this Bible stuff. Yep. All, all this... That's right. Um, the, the Wesleyan revivals and the birth of the Labour Party in the UK is a story of Christian socialism that isn't Marxism. That's right. But even before we get to the social vision, what they had was a communal vision of the church. Why is it that in the wilderness, if we dare to sometimes back into there while desiring what Pharaoh desires, right. trying to ignore Moses um, and just get on with our grumbling... Why is it so hard to see others also in the wilderness? Why, why are there so many of us who feel isolated on this journey and, and can't see who else? I think individualism is the great American heresy uh, in which we have been taught in toxic Christianity, to use your phrase, hmm. that uh, Jesus gets us one at a time. Well, wow. Which is false. Yeah, uh, uh, the 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 body of Christ is all these members that belong to each other, which is a paradigm for the human community. We all belong to each other, and there is no possible way to walk away from that. There are not enough dogs or tanks or gates. To privatize social reality. Wow. But Pharaoh works pretty hard. Yes, indeed. That's right. Yep. What inspires you? Like, what do you see? I know there is, particularly at such a time as this, there are many things that means that lament psalms are easier to spend time in than the praise psalms. But what things do, do you see that 
give you hope? What, what things do... And I'm not trying to force an answer. And no, no. Like, but are, are there... Well, I think, I think here and there, there are local initiatives of people who have uh, stepped out of Pharaoh's imagination mm. and have made a difference. In Cincinnati, where I lived until just recently... Amos, which is the community organizing, one of the community organizing agencies, uh, got a uh, levy on the ballot for a preschool for all kids in our county. Hmm. And Amos registered 46,000 voters, hmm. and it passed. Hmm. Now, it had to be... Uh, negotiated with the school board, all kinds of complications. Mm -hmm. But that kind of uh, citizen action uh, that is committed uh, to the common good, mm -hmm. uh, every once in a while works. It just requires people to step out and step up and, and, and to recognize that the Greedy scarcity of the status quo is not the truth of our life. Mm. Wow. What a difference it would make uh, if the church understood that I'm telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> what a difference it would make uh, if the church uh, across the board, across the spectrum had a sense that this is what we're up to. Yeah. So what I want to do, uh, when I, whenever I read a, a biblical passage, I always want to ask, what happens if you read the whole Bible through this text? Wow. So what I would do with Exodus 16, I would read it back to creation. Mm. And creation is the story of God's uh, original abundance mm. that Pharaoh choked off. So what the manna story is about, if you think about creation, is that that Moses jumpstarts creation mm. when Pharaoh thought he had brought the creation of abundance to a standstill. Wow. And manna is defying Pharaoh and saying, no, you haven't stopped it. Mm. The, the, the abundance of God is alive and well and will reappear in due course. Wow. If you read it forward, I, I think of two obvious texts. In, uh, in Isaiah 55... Uh, Isaiah speaking to Babylonian Jews in Babylonian exile who had signed on with the Babylonian economy. Uh, that's the text that begins, Ho, everyone who thirsts, and so on. Uh, come by free wine, free water, free milk without price. And then in the next verse, uh, the poet says, uh, why, why do you spend your energy on that which does not satisfy? Why do you, which you labor for that? I don't know how that goes, mm. which cannot nourish you. Mm. 
Why do you bust your ass <laughs> participating in the Babylonian economy that will never satisfy you? Hmm. And what, what that's about is inviting people to recover their covenantal Jewishness that they had forgotten. Uh, so I think the word for us is, uh, why do you bust your ass in Pharaoh's protocols and have forgotten your solidarity with the human community? Wow. So this big, deep amnesia among us mm. about who we are. And then obviously, if you read it further forward, you come to... Jesus feeding miracles, mm -hmm. which take place for a desperate crowd in the wilderness. Mm. That's kind of obvious, but but the the text that that uh, that I uh, am led to when I think about Exodus sixteen is in Mark. I memorized this; it's so important to me. Mark mm. six fifty two. Just a little verse that sits there by itself. And it says that the disciples did not understand about the bread. They did not understand that wherever Jesus was, there was an abundance. Yes. They did not understand about the bread because their hearts were hard. And you think where that phrase came from, wow. it's Pharaoh. Wow. They did not understand about the bread because they thought like Pharaoh, mm. who thought there was a scarcity of bread. <laughs> it's astonishing yeah. that Mark made that incredible connection. Yeah. And so I think when we celebrate Holy Communion, uh, we do not understand about the bread yes. because we have hard hearts yeah. that have been formed by the fear of scarcity tutored by Pharaoh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and at our conversation about our friend, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III and what Trinity Chicago is doing and their their farmers markets and their ecological witness on the south side of Chicago and even going back to how they transcend the culture wars in my nation and yours in that every week the doors of the church are open. There is a personal invitation to respond to the gospel. But that invitation that is personal is joining a communal reality and there's no skipping from the personal to policy. It's like join a community where you embody something different and then we will teach you the imagination to see policy differently that isn't merely joining either side of a dead conversation and parroting things that have been said right, before, right. but speaking a word of a life. And it's, it's examples um, uh, like Otis's leadership, like Trinity, like the community that you were describing in, in Cincinnati of where there's enough to believe that, um, as we were talking this morning, it's like a shutter that opens up. And even for, for a second, there's a, 
there's something different that can be seen on the other side of the lens, even if it was shortly, shortly lived. But how do, how do we learn to wait in the wilderness in such ways that we can see that glory and to have that open up in such ways that we can wander for a little bit longer instead right. of just whinging? Yeah, Is exactly. whinging an expression that translates to Americans? What, what would, whining? Whining? Mm. Not wailing. Not real lament. Cornel West does this great line where he talks about the difference between um, whining and wailing. It was Bob Marley and the Wailers, which is lament, <laughs> not the we'd say in Australia whinges or the the, the whining, because um, that's the other thing that's missed in a lot of my experience of church is real lament. Or oh, indeed, it's got to be the happiest place in town. And I, I guess the connection to the wilderness is part of that opening up provides permission for lament and lament there's a there's a cycle to it. That's what they did. They, the tran- they murmured. That's what the yeah. tran- they murmured all the time in the wilderness. Huh. They spoke about their need, their hurt, their anger. And so we we don't have enough faith to murmur. Instead, we just speak words of life. Well, what, 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 what we have done is to turn our hurt and fear into guilt. Wow, say more so, about that. So the liturgic churches, uh, which I like a lot, mm. confess our sin every Sunday. Mm. We do not confess our fear or our hurt. I mean, wow. They may be grounded in sin, yeah, but they're more elemental than sin. But we mm. don't we don't want to acknowledge any of that. We we do not we do not want to confess that God is fickle. Mm. So we always have to assume that God, Pharaoh, superego, wow. is always in the right. Therefore, if something's wrong, it's my fault. Hmm. And as you know, the lament psalms uh, is was none of this is my fault. There's a there is a <laughs> Swedish scholar Lindstrom who has studied fifty lament psalms. He finds one trace of guilt, and he thinks that's. That's an editorial redaction. <laughs> None of this is a confession that it's my fault. Wow. So we have to ask, how did this happen that the Christian vocabulary is preoccupied with guilt? Hmm. Because doctor, it's a what, form... What's your diagnosis? What, what... It's a form of social control. Yeah. You know, if you just think about the the uh, uh, absolutizing authority of a high priesthood, for example, in mm. the traditional Catholic Church, mm. uh, if you don't shape up, you can't get in. Mm-hmm. And so, guilt is a is a major way to practice social control. Yeah. 
And uh, in in uh, the capitalist system, uh, guilt has to do with uh, laziness. Mm. So, uh, Steve, what's his, how do you say it? Minchin in the administration? Steve Minchin? Minchin. He says, we got to get all these people Minchin. back to work. So, so the, the, uh, the, uh, the attachment of work requirements to welfare as just enacted in Kentucky, that's not an economic decision. That's an ethical decision. Yes. It's good for these lazy people to be productive like us. Terry Eagleton, um, uh, the the, uh, British um, post-structuralist, he has this fantastic line where he says, one of the delightful things about being either a Christian, a Jew, or a socialist is an ethic of laziness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, of course he, he's having he's having fun but he's he's naming that idolatry yeah he's naming that's right um i i've never ever ever connected what you've just said about guilt and about liturgy and about how we're formed and how we avoid <laughs> the gospel by constantly um uh responding to guilt instead of entering in on grace and so so much of how we if we can't articulate our fears how do we ever step into hope that's right if we can't articulate our hurt how are we ever able to trust and have faith it, it's it's so vital to the life of community but um, there's so much pressure to to fetishize even your work and so it'll, it'll come up as a slick production where there'll be a quote from Walter Brueggemann and we'll go, this is going to be Lament Sunday. And, and we've, we've turned it into something that'll sit on the side and we'll acknowledge that. And um, so we've uh, appropriated what would save us, sell it back to each other as something that, and then wonder why we're still just as empty. But maybe it's the next conference. Maybe it's the next meeting. And our conversation about like what a revival of tenderness would actually look like in in your nation and mine, so much of revival mentality and why it never gets taught of the reign of God and stays in the language of let's bring back from the dead a Christendom where we were once at the centre of power. So much of that is all about guilt. And any talk of repentance is everything to do with um, how do we respond to that guilt so given your work and talking to so many people who do, like, I do believe, Walter. Help me with my unbelief. Like, <laughs> I, 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 want, I want to pray with the 73rd Psalm that my desires would be God. Yep. But I, I want God on my terms where at the end of the day... Um, there's enough social justice because, like, now my life is connected to these suffering people and I love them dearly. So, yes, that. But I still want to be a success, Walter. So do I. <laughs> it's 
So, so what well, do we one do? Th- one thing, one thing more important than being successful is being tenured. <laughs> <laughs> and many not very successful people are tenured. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm grateful for heroic action, uh, but I, I don't have much. Uh, confidence in heroic action. I think mm. uh, I think local congregations uh, simply have to uh, sponsor and insist on a different kind of conversation mm. than conventional theology has ever permitted us to have. Wow! In terms of what we've been talking about, yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I don't imagine uh, quick conversions for very many people. I think Hmm. it's slow nurture. Hmm. Um, But the categories, you have to get the interpretive categories straight uh, so that we have some clear sense about what the conversation needs to be concerned with. Yes. Wow. And I think in the United States... I think the primary uh, uh, topic of conversation for uh, the white church, that's what I know best, is loss. Well, we need to be talking about loss that is never going to be recovered. Not ever. Mm. And all these phony politicians in both parties keep promising that they know how some way to bring all this back. They ain't never coming back. Mm. White supremacy's not coming back. Male supremacy's not coming back. American supremacy's not coming back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all gone. Mm. And it may be the will of God. Amen. And we have to, we have to process that loss And I think, I think that loss voiced turns to energy. Yes. Loss unvoiced turns to violence. Wow. And that's what we got. Yes. So President Trump can walk us right up to the edge of violence. He doesn't step over, but he invites. Mm-hmm. But he is speaking to that loss. He is speaking to the loss. The, he has found a way violence. to capitalize on yep. it, but not in any helpful way. No. That's right. And so how to minister to those who hear the hallelujahs from others, in fact, the majority who've been left out of the conversation and not had a place at the table and have actually questioned the fact that the table was policed by certain people and those hallelujahs from those voices are heard by others as loss, even though it's actually salvation for the very places that the church should always have been. Yeah, yeah. But how do we minister and invite those who have lost into a new reality Well, I don't, I don't know fully, but it is, honesty is the, yeah, honesty is the secret. Yes, 
You know, it's uh, the Anglicans have this great prayer, you from whom no secret can be hid. Mm. Basically, we invite people to come to church to hide their best secrets because they contradict Pharaoh's protocol. Which we've put Bible verses on top of. That's right. That's right. To legitimate. Yeah. 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 But what a what an incredible time for the church, because there is there is no other um, truth telling community that takes truth telling as its uh, primary work. Mm. Yeah, all spirituality aside. It's one of the only spaces that is left in society that doesn't merely revolve around market realities. That's right. Not That's to right. pretend that the market realities are present in the church and need to be exercised. Right. right. But there is something else holding it together. That's right. As well. That's right. Um, and that's like, where else does that happen? It's not going to happen at a local footy club. What's the American equivalent? The football, I mean, soccer. Um, yeah, sports yeah, club. yeah, but these, it's certainly not going to happen in the shopping mall. No. So, yeah. I want to thank you for making my life so difficult. <laughs> Blame it on Moses and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you for being loyal to how difficult they are. Um, and I'm not trying to shut down the conversation at all, but uh, be merciful as our Lord is merciful and uh, allow um, a spaciousness for the rest of the conversation, our time together. But Good. thank you. Like, really. Um, thank you. Mm. Thanks for staying at it. Well, thanks for being with us on the Inverse Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with Walter Brueggemann. And we look forward to seeing you next week with our friend and yours, Jonathan Martin.